0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for all your gifts to us. And today, as we open this new Year, as we open this new series talking about the joy of giving, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us what we need to hear today, that we might reflect your love, your generosity, your truth more faithfully each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, every year in January, the President of the United States gives a State of the Union address. And that address is supposed to tell what's been happening in the last year and hopes for the future. And as Pastor Brad and I were planning the message series for the year fall of 2015 going into summer of 2016, we said, well, if it's important for a nation to stop and consider where it is and where it's going, how much more important it is for a a church family to talk about where God has brought us and where God is taking us in the year ahead. And if we were to sum up the past year in one word here at New Life, I would use the word generosity. In fact, the, the, the series that we're going to be in today and for the next four weeks is called The Generosity Factor. And what we're going to be talking about is how we have seen our loving and generous God at work. Now, if you doubt that God is loving and generous, I can pretty much prove it to you with a verse I learned in first or second grade. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to reflect Him in our daily lives, then the very least thing we're going to do is reflect the same kind of love and generosity that God has reflected to us. And one of the other components of our life together here at New Life, which has been since the beginning a goal that we have had, it comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Because what it does is it talks a little bit about... What we, how we live out the love that we have and the truth that we have. We have to hold those together. And here's what it says. When we are mature, then we're no, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So... Our goal is always to speak the truth in love and to be loving as we share the truth. And I've always said it's easy to be truthful if you don't care about loving people. You just say the hard thing and you don't care what you do to them. It's easy to be loving if by that you mean syrupy emotion, but you don't care about truth. But if you care about love and truth, keeping those together, it becomes much more challenging and it becomes much more like Jesus because Jesus was perfect at that as he was perfect at everything, at holding truth and love together. Now, as we use truth and love this year in 2015 and the year behind, what we have done is we have shared that through our time and through our talents, through our treasure and through our touch. And that's gonna form the basis of the next four messages, those four words: time, talent, treasure, and touch. And many of you, if you've gone to the church church for any period of time, you've heard of the three T's: time, talent, treasure, or money. Um, That's sort of what we talk about when we talk about stewardship or giving or generosity, uh, managing what God has given to us. But that word touch is added because of this book. This book called The Generosity Factor, which we gave out on Christmas Eve and which many of you have already read. I was surprised to find people came in this morning and said, whoa, that's a great book. And a couple of people said, I don't even read books and that's a great book. Well, that's why we gave it out. But if you didn't get it on Christmas Eve, there are copies available on the Welcome Center. You can pick one up and we're going to be referring to it in the messages that have to do with time, talent, treasure. And this fourth one, touch. The word touch is an interesting one in our culture because it usually connotates something bad. Because we think about inappropriate touching. That's what our culture talks about all the time. But what we're going to do is we're going to see how God uses touch in our lives, and specifically Jesus. Interesting about thing about Jesus is when he healed lepers, and lepers were considered unclean, which nobody could touch them. Jesus didn't have to touch them when he healed them. But if you read about Jesus healing lepers, he usually touched them. Because touch is important. It's so vital. It's life-giving when done in the right way. So... Time, talent, treasure, or money, and touch are going to be the four messages after this. But today we want to focus in and hone in on generosity as the state of new life. What do I mean by generosity? Well, I actually looked up dictionary.com's definitions, four of them, and I liked all four of them. Uh, it, it, tremendous definition of generosity. First, it's readiness or liberality in giving. You'd expect that it has to do with giving stuff away. Secondly, I love this one, freedom from meanness or smallness of mind or character. So in other words, we give people the benefit of the doubt. If we're a generous person, we don't see, you know, we don't see the hard thing about a person. We try to be graceful, or gracious, I guess you could say. Then the next one is a generous act. Again, actions, giving our talent, our time. That would be another way that generosity would be defined. And then finally, largeness or fullness, amplitude. It's just a, one of those things It's sort of an archer, overarching understanding. If you think about it from God's perspective, God is overarching. He's big, and, uh, and he gives of himself freely. So, if we become followers of Jesus Christ, we trust Jesus, Savior, and Lord, then one of the things that ought to issue forth from our lives is generosity. The reason I say that is because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, gave literally everything. Everything. He came from the perfection of heaven to this planet. He came from that perfect unity with his Father and the Holy Spirit to a place that's filled with disarray and disunity and division. He came to a place where he would literally give his life, and not in an easy way, but in one of the most difficult of all ways, through crucifixion, so that we could have a new life. And once we've received that love and generosity ourselves, then we would think that we would carry it on and that we would live it out in the power of His Spirit. But we don't live in a generous culture. Now, I know I've read and you've probably read that America is one of the most generous cultures on the planet, and that's probably true. But as a whole, we're not really that generous. We're a nation of takers, not a nation of givers. And and I don't make that up. I actually looked at a lot of articles that had to do with this, and not religious articles either. I wanted to go to the secular world and see what do they say about Americans and generosity. And I chose a representative sample from a a person named Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson in November of 2014, uh, an article written for the PBS NewsHour, not exactly a conservative group, and they said this. When it comes to generosity with money, time, skills, and relationships, we know that relaxing, letting go, and giving away is not often automatic or easy. This is especially true in the American church or American culture, which from all sides constantly pounds home messages of scarcity, discontent, insecurity, and acquisition. These messages may serve to grow the consumer economy, but they are often not good for the consumers." Well, why are those messages of scarcity, discontent, and insecurity and acquisition not good for American consumers? Because every study, whether religious or secular, has shown that generosity is good for us. It's good for us physically. If we give stuff away, if we give our time away, we give ourselves away, we are physically healthier. If we give stuff away, time away, our talents away, we are emotionally healthier and we are spiritually healthier. Well, we should have recognized that because Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's always a blessing in giving. It's greater than even in receiving. So during 2015, and now I'm going to get into some statistics, and I know some of you love statistics, some of you hate statistics, at least now the chairs are comfortable. So if you don't like the statistics, you can sort of just take a, take a moment and rest, right? But anyway, in 2015... million was given by the folks of New Life to all causes to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. We planted dozens of churches in Cuba. Hundreds of people were helped here in our own community and across, really across the nation and across the world through um, awesome boxes, through joy gifts, blessing bags, Operation Christmas Child, and much, much more. Hundreds of you donated thousands of hours of time In children's ministry, youth ministry, small group ministry, parking lot ministry, ushering, greeting, hospitality, and so much more. And I'm not saying these things to sort of pat you on the back. Well, actually, I am sort of saying these things to pat you on the back a little bit. But to simply point out that there is a culture of giving and generosity here at New Life. And um, one of the most important things to me as a result of what you all have done through your prayers and through your efforts and through your giving is in the past year here at New Life, 150 people committed their lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and 200 were baptized, so I think that's really awesome. So now I know what you might be thinking. Wait a minute, that's pretty good. We already have this generosity thing down. Why do we need a five-week series on generosity to start off 2016 if that's where we already are? Well, a long time ago, I learned a saying, it was, uh, actually Bill Veck, who owned the Chicago White Sox, said this. If what you did yesterday still seems big, you haven't done much today. Now, you say, well, that's not from the Bible. Yes, it is. You're going to see in a minute from Philippians chapter 3. There's sort of a corollary to that um, in Philippians chapter 3, which is going to be the scripture for our day. Um, I want to say a couple more things statistically. We saw 30,000 people attend the worship gatherings um, over the course of the 52 weeks of this year for the very first time. And uh, and somebody told me after the worship, first worship gathering, 613.94 people per week. And he said, I'm that 9.94 person. I don't know what that means. Um, but anyway... For the fifth year in a row, that means that our increase in attendance has increased by more than 10%, which it becomes more challenging each year, as you can imagine, to see that happen. In any case, God is pouring his love and his compassion into us, and we're sharing it with others. And as we turn into to 2016, I want to remind us of something. Yes, we've done some good things. And yes, God is the one who gets the credit for all the things that, and the glory, I should say, for all the things that we've done. And I don't want us to think too highly of ourselves because there's still that report that I read to you from earlier. um, And and these statistics I'm about to share aren't as encouraging as the ones I just did. It says this, looking at the percentage of Americans who give certain percentages of their total incomes, we see that nearly half of us, 44.8%, admit to not giving away a single dollar in a year's period of time. Close behind the half who give nothing at all is the 41% who give away a small amount of money, less than 2%. Increase the percentage given away and the percentage of Americans who do it shrinks. 9% of Americans give away between 2 and 5% of their income. 3.1% gives away 5 to 10%. And 2.7% gives away 10% or more. Again, the vast majority gives away relatively little of their financial means in voluntary charitable donations. Now, the people of New Life are not typical Americans. I'll grant you that. In fact, if you take the $1.2 million divided by the about 500 adults that were here every weekend out of that 613.94 people, that would come out to $2,400 per person. And since many of you are couples, that would come out to about $4,800 per family. And the median household income in Butler County last year was 58226 So if you were average, you lived in Butler County, then that would mean that you gave 8.2% of your income just to New Life. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, I gave a lot more than that. Yes, some of you did. And some of you are probably sitting there like that 44.8% of Americans saying, I didn't give a penny. And why would I bring that up at the beginning of 2016? Very, very important reason. Because we're talking about generosity and starting off the year in a way that's um, going to glorify God and going to show that we have Him as the the guide and leader in our lives. And so all of us have room for growth. If we didn't give anything, there's room for growth. If we gave 10%, there's still room for growth. And whatever we gave in 2015, there is room for us to move forward. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter, And we're going to see something that happened there. Because what happened, Paul started a church in a place called Philippi. And he was there for a while, actually a pretty long period of time. And then he had to leave. And after he left, a group of people came in behind him. And they said, you can't just trust the grace of Jesus Christ for your salvation. You have to do something. You have to follow the Jewish law and follow the grace and and, and forgiveness of God and Jesus Christ. And so people came from Philippi and said to Paul, is this right? And Paul wrote a letter back, and that's the letter that we have addressing that particular matter. And in order to get to that particular matter, we're going to look at our take-home point, which is, for those of you who come regularly, you know the one point that we seek to make every week, and it is this, that our credentials don't matter. Our credentials don't matter. What Jesus has done for us and does in us does. Because generosity isn't a statistic. Generosity is a character trait that develops along with love and truth in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. It develops because Jesus is inside of us. And what the Apostle Paul wanted the Philippians to understand, and obviously us to understand, is it isn't about what we have done. It's about what God has done. So Paul takes a sort of an unusual approach as he addresses these people who wanted us to follow the law. Here's what he says first. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So what's Paul doing? He's saying, okay, all these people that think they're so great, I'm better. You, you think you're a great Jew? Well, I'm a better Jew than you are. Paul says, I can trace my ancestry all the way back to one of the original 12 tribes of, of Israel, Benjamin. And I'm a Pharisee. You know what Pharisees did? Pharisees were the ones who got Jesus arrested and ultimately crucified because we knew that we were right and he was wrong. In fact, he says, I persecuted the church. In fact, that's what Paul did. He went around with letters from the church in, or the, the synagogue, and temple in Jerusalem and, and he would get Christians arrested and take them back and put them in prison in Jerusalem. So Paul was a Jew's Jew if you will. And he says all of that was what was going on in my life and I was all about that. In fact, I was perfect, is what he says. Righteousness, of, according to the law, I was perfect. I, I never sinned, according to the law. Now, after establishing who he was, here's what Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my on, on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So Paul once thought being a Pharisee was a big deal, and being a tribe of Benjamin was a big deal. And he said, I consider all of that garbage. In fact, the Greek word there is manure. I really don't think much of what I used to be. My credentials aren't very important to me because I met Jesus. And Paul literally met Jesus. He was known as Saul then. He still had his Hebrew name. And he was walking from Jerusalem to Damascus. And Jesus had already died, risen from the dead, gone up to heaven. And Jesus appeared to Paul, known as Saul then, in a vision. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And immediately Saul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And that radically changed Paul's life in an instant. The things that he thought were important, he no longer considered important. What he used to do doesn't matter to him anymore. What matters now, what he says matters now is a righteousness, not from my own effort, but a righteousness from God that comes from the inside out. And the interesting thing about Jesus when he walked on the planet was he often referred to the law of Moses. And what he did when he referred to the law of Moses was he would go um, back to the law and say, you've heard it was written. For example, you've heard it was written, you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So what did Jesus do? He took the letter of the law and he made it like a thousand times more difficult to fulfill. Another example, he said, you've heard it was written, you shall not kill or murder But I say, if you are angry with your brother, you've already murdered your brother in your heart. So now he made it a thousand times more difficult to follow that rule. Now, follow my logic here for a minute, because what I'm trying to do is to show you that Jesus came to show us we couldn't follow the law. By showing us how stringent the law really is, the law of the heart, not the law of the letter that's written on paper. And so... Ever since I've been a pastor, people have, and ever since I've actually been talking about generosity, people have come to me and said, you know, Pastor Griss, we're not under the law. And I say, no, we're not under the law. And they say, because we're not under the law, doesn't, don't you think that means that we don't have to tithe anymore? You see, we shouldn't have to give 10% because under the law you had to give 10%. And, and, and here's what I think. He's right, or she's right. We don't have to give 10%. But if Jesus said that adultery is in our heart, and if Jesus said that murder is in our heart, and it's so much harder to, to observe that letter of the heart than the letter of the word on paper, then do you think that God would say generosity now is less than it used to be? <laughs> generosity must start around 10% and move forward in our lives. You see, Paul is saying here, I don't have a righteousness that I go and I look at the law and I say, I'm doing that one. Yep, doing that one, not doing that one. He doesn't do that anymore. And we ought not do that in our lives either. What Paul is saying now, he wants to have this righteousness that comes from the inside, from the Spirit of God, out. And then he says something. And, and, you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching, I see people with their Bibles open, they're underlining. And I bet you nobody underlined this verse. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see, people don't want to suffer. People don't want to suffer in Jesus' day. People didn't want to suffer in Paul's day. People don't want to suffer in our day. And obviously, many times we think that when we don't suffer, that's God's blessing. And many times when we don't suffer, it is God's blessing. But sometimes what Paul is saying is, if we want to be where Jesus Christ is, we're going to suffer. If we want to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer. If we want to sacrifice in such a way that Jesus Christ will be glorified and honored, we're going to suffer. I'm going to give you a very like this little of an example, and it's from the physical realm, not the spiritual realm, about sacrifice. Because if you're going to be more generous, and I'm going to be more generous in 2016 than in 2015, we're going to have to limit ourselves in certain of the areas of time and talent and money. You know, we'll keep less for ourselves, give more away. That's what generosity is. Well, here at New Life, we got a new insurance plan, and there's a deductible now. And, and the de- deductible can be reduced by doing healthy things. Healthy things are not easy. Healthy things are hard. You have to sacrifice to do healthy things. And so one of the healthy things is the weight management program, which I got put on by that little orphan boy in Cambodia who touched my belly and said, baby, back in October. Uh, and so I was already doing the weight management thing, and so I can get 100 bucks off my deductible by completing an eight-week weight management thing. So I said, okay. So I call up the lady, you know, and she gives me these questions. And one of the questions was, what is going to be the biggest obstacle or roadblock to you achieving your weight management goal? And I said, me. And after a pause, she said, what? I said, me. She said, what do you mean? I said, I mean that if I want to exercise and eat less, I will lose weight. And if I don't want to exercise and eat less, I will gain weight. And I I don't know which one it will be. I have to choose. I have to sacrifice if I want to have that physical gain. And she said, not very many people are that honest. And I said, that's why we're all overweight. You see, because we want to say that we can eat more and exercise less and lose weight. That, that plan doesn't work. I've been trying it for a long time. It doesn't work. And if that's the physical truth, what about in the spiritual realm? In the spiritual realm, it takes sacrifice, according to Paul, for us to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus died on the cross so I can have resurrection of the dead. Right? Right. But didn't Jesus also die on the cross so we can live new lives? <laughs> The the new lives that aren't like the old lives that we used to live. That's also right. So Paul tells us, that if we want to follow Jesus Christ, we have to give up this righteousness from the externals and live on a righteousness of the internals that comes from God. And then he says something else that's extremely important. And before we get to that, I want to say, this year of 2016, I have a belief in my heart right now. It's been building since fall. And that is that the year of 2016, we're going to see more people come to know Jesus than in any his year, maybe in all the years of new life put together. That we're going to see more impact for the kingdom of God through the people of new life and what we do in the year of 2016 and all the years in the past. And that's not a thus says the Lord thing. I'm not saying that I had a vision from God like Paul did. I'm saying that it's consistent with God's will, that in 2016 he would want us to be more generous than we've ever been, more loving than we've ever been, more truthful and loving at the same time than we've ever been, reaching more people for his kingdom than we ever have. So how are we going to do that? Well, Paul tells us how he was going to attain what he wanted to do in his life And it's a very, very important challenge, I would say, and charge for us as we move into the new year of 2016. He says this. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. This phrase, press on, comes here twice. It's a very important phrase. I press on. To possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So what's Paul saying? He's saying we need to press on in 2016. If we're going to be more generous, more loving, more truthful, more joyful, more anything that God wants us to be in 2016, it isn't going to be because we mosey into it. It isn't going to be because we drift into it. It isn't going to be because we wander or meander into it. We need to press on. That's what Paul says. Paul says, this is the key. In 2015, let's say 2015 was a great year for you. Paul says, forget it. Move forward. Let's say 2015 was an awful year for you. Forget it. Move on. That's what Paul is saying. We need to stop looking back and we need to start pressing forward. Because as we press forward, what we will see is the prize that Jesus Christ died to give us, that new life that he came to give us, will be experienced in our everyday lives. So today's commitment is very simple. It says this, I will press on this week. I will press on this week. And that's going to mean something different for every one of us in the room. You see, most of these weekly commitments, everybody, it's the same thing for everybody. But this one's very, very unique. Because you might be sitting in the room today and you might not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you don't, then you can't press on in Jesus until you know Jesus. So the first step for you is going to be say yes to Jesus and let him become Savior and Lord in your life. Take control so that you can live and press into him so you can press on into the new year. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 30, 40 years. And and so what you need to do what I need to do in that situation, because that's my situation is I need to ask him, what do I need to do in the area of time and talent, the area of treasure or money, and the area of touch that I haven't yet attained to in my life? Where is there an area where I'm not getting joy in giving? Because, you know, Paul told us in, in the Corinthian letter, he said, God loves a joyful giver that we shouldn't give under compulsion, whether it's of time, talent, or anything. So where do I need to grow? And, and, and you need to answer that. You, know, you, you might need to go home, sit down, and think. What will it mean for me to be more generous with my time, my talent, my treasure? We're going to talk about each of these, my touch, in 2016. But it's probably good at the beginning of a new year to reflect just for a moment where we've been and then to move forward to where God is leading us. And in closing, I want to, I want to remind you all of something that I've already said. It won't be easy. But here's the thing that I know. Have you ever known that you needed to go visit somebody? You needed to go pay a visit to Aunt Susie. Aunt Susie, you've been putting it off. You know you need to go visit Aunt Susie. So eventually, you finally make the time and you go visit Aunt Susie. And you spend a couple hours and on the way back, almost always when Nancy and I have done that visit, we've said, I'm so glad I took the time to do that. Have you ever known somebody had a need? You know, maybe it was a physical need, a a tangible need that could be, you know, met with money, and so you wrote out a check, or maybe even better, you put some cash in an envelope and gave it to the person. They didn't even know you gave it. And afterwards, they talk about how amazing, what happened. I had a story like this last night. Somebody came to me. Somebody helped somebody, and the somebody who was helped said to me, you can't believe what God did because that person helped me. Oh, yes, I can. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And the person was blessed, but the person who gave, when I tell that story, is going to be even more blessed. And and you see, what what I'm saying is it's not easy to be generous, And this culture isn't going to teach us to be generous, but every time we act generously, we feel better. Because it really, really is more blessed to give than to receive. And the best medicine for our bodies, our souls, and our spirits in 2016 may well be generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity we have in 2016 for as many days as you give us to love you to serve you, and to be generous to others in your name. God, we pray that you'd pour your Spirit into each of us, that we might live this year intentionally, and that we might move forward under your guidance and direction, loving and showing your truth as we go, so that others might come to know you, others might grow up in you, others might be encouraged and comforted, and that we might press on to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.